Hello, and welcome to Steeped in Mystery. I'm Amanda. I'm Jenna. Ooh, Jenna. This is a good one. I know know we are going to dive right in because I have so much to share. It's kind of funny because we're talking about a swampy sort of subject in our tea, Darjeeling. Darjeeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got very swampy look to it. It is. It's kind of a darker tea yeah. when you brew it. And it's just kind of your straight-laced tea. There's there's no fun or flavor uh, associated not, with this. It's just a tea. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not trying to be something. Fruity or nutty or anything <laughs> it's like, else. I'm tea, deal with it. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that kind of goes well with our topic today because um, Bridgewater Triangle is just Bridgewater Triangle and you just have to deal with it. I, oh, I'm really excited. Um, I, it was very hard for me in my research mm-hmm. to avoid the Bridgewater Triangle as I was looking stuff up. Oh. Because I haven't really heard anything about it. So oh, I okay. was like, nope, that's Bridgewater Triangle. I'm just looking for Hockamock Swamp. Like, <laughs> Yep, because we did kind of split it up. So Hockamock Swamp is a piece of Bridgewater Triangle, but it's not the main aspect of Bridgewater I had Triangle. I never heard of, of Bridgewater Triangle. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, because it's right here in the States. You'd think it'd be something that we would yeah. would talk about. And, yeah. and I've traveled a lot of the 48 lower mm-hmm. um, and been through a lot of places. And it's just, it's never been on my radar. So I have an idea concerning that. And we're going to circle back to that at the end. That, that why we maybe have not heard of Bridgewater Triangle. And I had only heard of it briefly before um, doing the research for today. So the research research for today i'm like oof i'm excited i I got some interesting stuff i love when we find that weird didn't know about it kind of stuff absolutely so we're gonna dive right in because i'm so excited to share all right let's go okay so the bridgewater triangle is an area of about 200 square miles within the southeastern massachusetts state um it's a site of paranormal phenomena Okay. That range from UFOs, poltergeists, Bigfoot-like sightings, giant snakes, thunderbirds, and other cryptids that I had not even heard of. Thunderbirds? Yes. Oh my God, that's frightening. (laughs) Yes. So um, it covers from uh, Rehoboth to Freetown and then to abington um bridgewater and east bridgewater fall within the triangle and it's located about 30 miles from boston yeah yeah okay so uh i will say this about the bridgewater triangle there are areas all over the globe that are nicknamed nicknamed window areas and I had not heard that term before today. Window areas. Window areas. These locations that seem to be like a tear in the veil to other realities. Yes. Yes, Amanda. Yes. I don't know how you feel about that. So <laughs> the boundaries were actually first described in the 1970s by cryptozoologist 
Lauren Coleman. Okay. And Coleman wrote the book Mysterious America in 1983. And that is when the triangle actually took shape because he noted um, the like the boundaries of the triangle in his book and the triangle's most notable places. And um, he was really instrumental into kind of bringing the Bridgewater Triangle concept into being. And the other thing is, is that um, not only are there these paranormal things within Bridgewater Triangle, there's a lot of native. And and I think you're going to go into that later, so I'm not going to touch too much on that. But they have rock formations and other sites that have been sacred to Native Americans that are within the triangle as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. What would it be if it wasn't a Jenna episode if I didn't mention UFOs? (laughs) So just take a wild guess. Just a wild guess, Amanda. The first reported incident of a UFO in this Bridgewater Triangle. I'm going to say 60s or 70s because that's when UFOs were getting big. Um, You're not far off. Ooh, okay. Um, Except for... It was, the first reported incident was 1760. Sorry, I almost made Amanda spew tea all over her microphone. (laughs) I almost saw it come out your nose. Like I literally was waiting for it. 1760? 1760. What the hell? There weren't even really people here. There were enough people, because this is Boston, one of the, okay, uh, you okay, know, okay. Massachusetts, one of the first colonies. So they do have, they do go back yeah, that far. I, I mean, natives and, and very early settlers, but what? So get this. On May 10th, okay, 1760. At 10 a.m. My God, this is so specific. A sphere of fire was reported to hover over New England and emitted a light so bright that it cast shadows in the morning sun. The light was seen from both Bridgewater and Roxbury. And that was not the last time a UFO would be seen. Okay. 1760 they actually you can google this there's actually like a newspaper like an old clipping that describes this i'm trying to first off a light so bright that it's casting its own shadows in midday is a little is saying a lot yes and the fact that it was visible from so far apart yep oh my gosh yeah it was insane that's like a mini star. Yeah. Holy shit. And they called it a fireball. Fuck. Sphere okay. of fire. You, you know, some people were probably thinking someone disobeyed God today. <laughs> <laughs> the sun is coming to get us. Oh, no, it's the end of the world. There, well, there's always that one guy. It <laughs> would have been because it was all like Puritans that kind of settled that area. Oh, for sure. So. You know, someone flashed their ankle to, that day and thought it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I let somebody see my wrist. I'm, I'm so done sorry. for. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. So, uh, an, the next or a next 
or e, uh, a next. I, I don't know how. One of the next. Yeah, one found. of the next is. Um, this is also a UFO report. Okay. And this happened when you would have thought that UFO sightings were actually happening. It was a, a WCVB radio reporter in 1979. Okay. His name was Steve Sabreka. Um, had an encounter with a UFO. Okay. Him and another reporter, uh, his co-worker Jerry, were driving to an event on a dog track. They were covering the races or, you know, doing doing something with that regards. And um, they were on a 106 Highway, which is like a major kind of thoroughfare through the area. When Aaron saw a light or a lighted mist over the tree line at the border of the highway. Okay. And they both started looking at it, and they were so curious about what could be the source of this light that they actually pulled over, stopped their car, got out to take a better look. And as they were standing there, suddenly a craft came over the trees. It had white lights on it and under it. It was the shape of a baseball home plate. That's the best way they could. So it was square on the back end and then it had that, that triangle. So, so triangle yeah. piece and then almost this, the square back end. Cartoon diamond. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, that's how they described it. And it was this, this guy literally so specifically said it was as wide as five 747s wing to wing. Oh my God. Widthwise. So, of course, Jenna being Jenna, I had to go and see what the width wing of a 747 is. And it's roughly 224 feet. Oh my God. So that's 200. Just, just short of a football field. Yeah. So he's talking about something that's 1,120 feet across. Or three and a half football fields across. You're talking a massive. You're not talking somebody threw a Frisbee. No. (laughs) This is not your grandma's hubcap being thrown through the air. No. No. No way. So further, they reported, it was so close to the ground. Oh, my God. That Jerry actually felt he could have thrown a rock and hit it. It hovered over the field and then just took off at great speed. Jerry had actually been in the Air Force for four years and he had never, ever seen anything like it. That explains his description using 747s. Yep. It's his best. Yep. Comparison, right? And I mean, two very credible witnesses. They they're reporters, so they're very used to making detailed accounts of what they see, and on the radio, even because you've got to describe for your people what you're seeing. Yeah, using audio only, you have to be descriptive. Yeah. Yeah. So they totally were were able to get that description, <laughs> and and Aaron said um, from. I'm sorry, it wasn't Aaron. It was, I'm saying a wrong name. Steve, sorry. Steve Steve said that um, 
it it wasn't like you know you it it was just a brief type of thing and he said there were other people that saw it well other people yeah. that called in other people that documented it but he actually said i was 100% a skeptic and then i saw this and went i can't explain it something that big yeah that close it is mm-hmm. not something you just say, oh, maybe that thing in the distance I saw was this or that. Right. If exactly. it's right there in your face where you could throw a rock at it, even if you're like a baseball player and you've got extremely good arms, you cannot throw 100%. something that far. Yeah, 100%. That is crazy. So there have been many UFO encounters and reports of strange lights and even orbs in the sky over Bridgewater Triangle. Those darn orbs. That's not all that people encounter or experience there. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Amanda. Yes. If, if I were, let's just say that, well, cause we've done this, we've road tripped before. Yeah. A little bit. But, yeah. But let's just say that I'm, you know, it's kind of a lull in the conversation and I'm sitting in the back, which I have cause sitting by the boys or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you just hear this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you like high or something? <laughs> like, why are you giggling like that? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Pull the car over. <laughs> okay. That's creepy. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Okay, that was kind of a listening visual for my next story oh no Mm. yeah Yeah. all right i'm leaving bye (laughs) (laughs) you better buckle in right now you're not going anywhere (sighs) okay there is a legend of a red-headed hitchhiker on route 44 which then of course i had to google and it goes from east to west nearly at the middle point of the triangle so it's a pretty long triangle and kind of like near, more narrow I but did it goes see pictures yeah of the triangle. but it goes right through the triangle this right route 44 okay locals have reported the hitchhiker for decades the report is almost always the same red flannel shirt dirty jeans boots longish red hair and a big bushy red beard and dark empty Solo size. Oh. Travelers are said to pick up this hitchhiker after seeing him wandering down the road. Sometimes with his thumb out to hitch a ride, and sometimes not. He will only sit in the back seat, even <sighs> if the driver is the only one in the car. They'll ask, Hey, where are you headed? But they get no verbal response. He just points down the road the direction the driver is headed. But after traveling down the road a ways in complete kind of awkward silence, the hitchhiker will suddenly begin to giggle. Mm. And soon those giggles turn into a maniacal, uncontrolled laughter That pierces the ears and hits you to your core. No. The driver, usually, getting fed up, 
or in my opinion, freaked the F out by the hitchhiker's behavior will threaten to pull over and force him out of the car. Yeah. If he doesn't stop. Yeah. And then poof. In an instant, the redheaded hitchhiker is gone. Disappears. Even if the car is going down the highway at 50 miles an hour, boom, gone. But that's not all, folks. I don't know. You're buckled in. You can't go anywhere. No. His presence never leaves once you've kind of let him into the car. Oh. One witness said the face of the hitchhiker, he could see the face in his side view mirror of his car as if he were floating alongside (gasps) the vehicle as it sped down Route 44. Oh. Another claimed that not long after the hitchhiker vanished, the music cut out on the radio and his crazed, maniacal laughter began to fill the car again. No. No. And he started taunting the driver by name. Like laughing and then just saying their name and laughing and saying their name. <laughs> Jenna. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yep. Amanda, nope the crap out of there. Nope. Um, that's from the New England Ghost Files by Charles Robison. Damn. Can you imagine? Okay, I just want to pick this apart for just a second. For okay, just a first second. off, don't pick up hitchhikers. Bing, 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 bing. So many people die because yes. serial killers. And also, if you're a hitchhiker, you might die because the driver might be a serial killer. And also, ghosts. 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 Do we, you want ghosts? This is how you get we ghosts. We can do a whole flipping episode on hitchhiking ghosts. Like, that's come, that will come down the pipeline, people. I am telling you, because there are so many stories of this. If so no- number one, I mean... Back road, dark night. Some strange man. Some weird, yeah, long If that's bearded. not raising up red flags left and right for you, then you probably deserve what's coming. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Natural selection at there that point. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I can't imagine. You know what? I would be curious to find out is if these people that picked up the hitchhiker, if like they almost crashed or something after like after seeing him or almost you know seeing him disappear if they like almost crashed or something i'm more curious to with that many people picking up a similar hitchhiker eventually the story gets passed on that there is this creepy hitchhiker right right so So you would know you would know this is decades long story so i would almost wonder if there's almost a feeling of needing to pull over for him whether you are the type of person to do so or not like a sort of uncontrollable urge where you pull the car over and let him in like i just i need to i need to see for myself or or even like more paranormal than that just you know what i mean yeah you're compelled yes yes that's the word i was looking for because i i I would get those first couple times no one knew they just picked up a guy it's the 70s there's Mm -hmm. tons of hippie hitchhikers walking around oh yeah for sure but but at the same time, I mean, this has been going on for decades. And and the and the writer of the story actually prefaced with saying, 
Uh, human trafficking. Hello, people. Why would you like even get in a car with a stranger? Or why would you like? There's so many. Just don't. Hitchhiking yeah. is a don't. There's buses for a reason. Or call the local PD and say, hey, there's somebody kind of walking down the highway. I think they might need some help or something. Well, and honestly, so many people do this like, oh, I'm going to be Forrest Gump and walk across the states or bike across the states. Oh, sure. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I, don't stop. It's just don't. But just if I'm driving across the desert at night through INL and somebody just randomly is walking the side of the road in a flannel shirt with, with like thumb out. no backpack, no nothing, I'd be like, mm, buddy. Nope. Sorry. Nope. Just no. Not, not, uh, okay, to be fair, if it were like freezing cold temperatures or something, I might stop and roll down the window and be like, are you waiting for somebody? Are you, do you have somebody coming to get you? Do you want to use my phone and call somebody to come and get you? But I don't know that I would even. There's still a big difference for me on, is it a young lady is it a big Well, gruff? this is a big burly man. It's a big burly man. It's not even someone you'd normally feel illicit sympathy for. He, yeah. he even if it was an actual person, that gives off creepy serial killer vibes immediately. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. immediately. He's he's big, he's got a burly beard. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with burly beards, but that's like you know, and he's got the flannel and stuff. It's well, so here's the other thing of that. I mean, I drive so much for my to for work, and then I I'm a female, mm -hmm. but I feel like I could honestly like handle myself in a situation. But I wouldn't feel comfortable with them sitting up front with me. I almost would like want them to sit in the back seat. But I've seen too many like freaking John Wick movies and seeing how they strangle you from the back seat. I was going to say, I'd prefer the front seat because back seat, they, yeah. I can't watch them. They could strangle me. If yeah, they're no. right next to me, stick the nine millimeter in the lap and say, I'll give you a ride. Just don't do anything shitty. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Like, there you go. Yeah. But no, I just, I'm like whole hitchhiker thing. I'm over it. Don't just don't pick please, up hitchhikers. PSA. Don't. And just think of my <laughs> maniacal laugh, and that will give you reason enough to not pick up a hitchhiker. Okay. So not only, you know, paranormal stuff like uh, ghosts, but we also have cryptids. Right. You said something about Bigfoot earlier. I did say Bigfoot, but I'm not going to talk about Bigfoot because we've kind of we've covered Bigfoot. But I want to cover... Uh, regional big Bigfoot and regional like to America Bigfoot and different types of regional Bigfoots in a later episode too. Oh, okay. So we're we're gonna skip over Bigfoot. So what cryptids do you have then? So this one I had never heard of. It's called the Dover Demon. Yeah. I don't like that name. First off. Okay. This was described as a four foot tall creature with bright orange eyes uh spotted in one week in april 1977 by at least four people oh damn um at first uh it was along a stone wall on farm street so they were very specific about this and then two other times in a 24-hour period so again very specific uh, one witness made a sketch of it um, kind of leaning or leaning around a tree 
Oh, no. Oh, yes. Don't pull up the picture. Yes. Don't do it, Jenna. I already freaked you out with the uh, ghost story, Amanda. How how much more could I? How much more could I freak you out? Oh no! Ew! No! So many no's. Why doesn't it have a mouth? Why Why doesn't it have a mouth? Things need mouths. Yes. I, it's like I know. It's like an alien. The, yeah. It's like an inbred alien. That's the best way that, I can put that's it. That's the best way to put it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna describe what I just showed Amanda. So Bill. Bill Bartlett saw the creature in the headlights of his car. He said the creature was bending down to grab a rock with its long spindly fingers Mm -hmm. and then slowly turned its head toward the approaching car Mm -hmm. and stared into the light. It had a large head shaped like a watermelon. In the center were two large glowing Round, glassy, lidless eyes shining like two orange marbles. Mm. Now, look at the... That's that's a pretty accurate description, mm-hmm. according to this, like, little sketch. Uh, the head was on a thin neck. Oh, wait. Whoops. Back up. There was no discernible nose, mouth, or ears. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and in this sketch, I'm kind of... That's the one thing I'm disappointed about this sketch because it actually does have a nose on it. Yeah. I, I would argue that someone's taken some liberties. Yeah. They, it, so if you just kind of like block it, yeah. Yeah. That would actually be good. Um, the head was on a thin neck and the body was also thin with long spindly arms and legs with large hands and feet. The skin was hairless and appeared to be a rough texture like that of a shark. I don't like this. Yeah. That that was pretty freaky. So you have to think I mean there's a there's a couple of different theories. I mean is it actually a cryptid type entity that, you know, uh that stumbled what? into town or is it like an alien ET that why like was landed? It, why was and it grabbing into a, town? a rock? I don't know, right? <laughs> Maybe it was looking to, for something to defend itself. It's from, it's from alien NASA, and they just, just like us, they just send their stuff and grab rocks off the planet. <laughs> like, like that's I need it. to collect some Earth rocks for the overlords. Yeah. We got to do some uh, soil tests on these rocks from Earth. So I'm just going to grab this one right here on the I'm highway. I'm just going to snitch it. <laughs> I'm going to take it with me. Okay. Oh, that's so creepy. That is the that is the first time I've heard of the Dover Demon, and that thing is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that's... and this is a picture from the Lauren Coleman International Cryptozoology Museum, huh? Which I also had not heard of. That's a whole nother episode. I would right love there. to go to a cryptology museum. That right, be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the the next creature I got for you. So there. There's there's a famous creature. I'm going to digress for a second. There's a famous creature in the Bridgewater Triangle that's called the Pukwaji. Right. That I'm, again, I'm not going to talk about the Pukwaji in this episode because guess what? That could be a whole episode. So the Pukwaji will be coming down the pipelines, people. But just know that the Pukwaji is legitimately seen quite often in this area okay yeah 
So, all right. Uh, this one's a flying creature. This was seen by Sergeant Thomas Downey of Norton, Massachusetts Police Department. This happened the summer of 1971 on Bird Hill. Okay. Of all places. Next to the Hockamock Swamp. Okay. Sergeant Downey was done with his shift in Norton and driving through Mansfield to get to his home, one town over in Easton. It was after midnight and he was almost near his home when he saw a massive bird type creature with a wingspan greater than the width of his car. Oh. So he thought about or at least 10 to 12 feet wide wingspan. Huge wingspan. Mm-hmm. It dropped to the pavement and towered two to three feet above the roof of his car. Oh. Making the body of this creature over six feet tall. Oh. Mm-hmm. He actually came to a complete stop in his car to study this creature. It then flapped its enormous wings and flew straight over his car and into the swamp. But the description he gave is that it looked like a pterodactyl type creature. Now, I couldn't find a like an actual sketch of what he thought this creature was, but we've definitely we, talked about Thunderbirds. We've talked about they've been identified as all different need, kinds of things. We need ex-police sketch artists who focus in on cryptids. Tr- drawing things that people see that yep. are weird. Just yep. cryptid So here, here's just a stock photo of like a pterodactyl. Because <laughs> I couldn't find one that was actually of the... It, 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 and pterodactyl at that time period ev- evokes a very specific image because mm-hmm. if you think about pterodactyl in today's terms, more scientists are deciding that pterodactyls were feathered creatures and things of that nature. Right. But right. at the point in time when this would have taken place, pterodactyls were seen as basically like bats almost. Almost bats. Like, like featherless, hairless, winged. winged yeah. Things. Yeah. So that that's a very yeah. distinct yeah. and terrifying thought. <laughs> so the the other fact about the story is Sergeant Downey actually reported the incident to the police and yeah. was um he was regarded Big dangerous bird on yeah, the loose. He was regarded as a serious individual who would not make up stories or falsify information. Yeah, I mean and it's one thing to Get home and tell your family about some crazy thing you saw. Right, but he was so... But not reporting it? Yeah, he felt like that it could possibly be a danger he, to other people, so he reported it. That that shows a level of seriousness about the situation that someone who's just making something up wouldn't go as far mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. It, it yep. just does. So also over the decades, there have been other reports of winged creatures or thunderbirds in... The Bridgewater Triangle yeah. area. And if you don't understand Thunderbirds, go a few episodes back. It's there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, really big hotspot. Um, came across in my research as well that there were, again, lots of Native American lore, lots of um, battles and things that happened with early settlers and things in the area. Um, but I'm going to give just a quick report of my 
references. And then I'm going to let Amanda kind of take over and talk about the swamp, which is located in the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite friends at wikipedia.com, bridgewaterpubliclibrary.org, paranormalencyclopedia.com, wcvb.com, enterprisenews.com, tauntongazette.com, fun107.com, bostonglobe.com, and weird creatures of the Bridgewater Triangle article. Okay. Yeah. There you be. All right. So, Hockamock Swamp, like you mentioned, it's um, in the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and doing research on the Hockamock Swamp is very hard without running into the Bridgewater Triangle. So, I've got a lot of, of facts about the swamp and, and some interesting stuff on it that'll, I think, not only help tell you how bizarre it would be to see the creatures Jenna has described, but how much history is there and how much I believe that there's definitely spirits in that place. (laughs) Yes. So Hockamock Swamp is a large freshwater swamp in Massachusetts. It takes up 16,950 acres of land. That is nearly 34 Disneylands put together or for sports fans, 12,840 football fields. Just to give you a visual oh, of how extremely large this is. Yeah. Like, if you've ever tried to walk around Disneyland in a day, it's not happening. So so try and do that 34 times and tell me if you don't think this is a massive place. Um, it is a natural form of flood control in its region, and it holds approximately 7.5 billion, b- b- billion gallons of water. Jeez. Yeah. So... Huge amounts of fresh water. Insane. Uh, Early on, around the 17th century, the Wampanoag Wampanoag, Mm -hmm. used it as a fortress against early English settlers. It was just really hard for them to navigate the swamp it was and the natives knew it a lot better so it was an easy place for them to sort of shield themselves from their attacks and their persecution sure okay um it later operated as one of king philip's bases during what was known as the king philip's wars right and Mm -hmm. he was a leader of of one of the native tribes around that area and they used it because it was easy to launch assaults on the nearby settlers from there they had a base of protection slash easy access to all the settlers in the area. Right. So huge battles, lots of death in that aspect of it. Um, it was around the 18th and 19th centuries that the Euro-American settlers decided they wanted to drain the swamp and use the area as farmland. In their eyes, it was worthless and barren land. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I can... I can see that because, I mean, swampy ground, you can't really plant crops or build yeah. on it. They're so, like, yeah. we can't build our houses. We can't plant our crops. That's how we handle things. We drain it. We make it usable. Yeah. Mm, okay. On the flip side of this, though, the natives relied on the swamp. They hunted tons of game there. It was a main source of food for them as far as lots of different game meat goes. Um, but it was also a sacred burial ground. 
Oh. Yeah. So they had a princess that was buried in that swamp. And they had lots of other people that were buried in that swamp. Great warriors and things like that. Um, And in fact, its name, Hokamak, comes from the Algonquin term meaning place where spirits dwell. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally, the natives would call it Hobomok, referring to a deity of theirs who was a deity of death and disease, um, who was like, its body was composed out of the souls of the dead. Yeah. And so for them, Hobomok and Hakamok became interchangeable terms for that area of land. It was this place where spirits dwell and where their deity of death and disease dwell. Oh, gosh. That's terrifying. Yeah. So they already as natives in the early days, had a very um, dark description of the place. Right. So it's, al- it. it's almost like having the underworld. In your backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Now, granted, Oof. they admitted that the spirits could be both good or bad. Bad ones leading you off to get lost and good uh-huh. ones leading you to find your hunt. Sure, sure. Okay. So they're, they're naming it a place where spirits dwell did not necessarily have a negative connotation but the fact that their deity of death lived there is very interesting yeah that kind of pushed it over for me too yeah um later parts of the hakamak swamp would be excavated by archaeologists oh and they would discover a lot of uh artifacts from the early archaic archaic period of north america nice so when i looked it up it was like eight thousand to nine thousand uh BP, which is before present, and I don't know if they've switched out BC and stuff interchangeably or, or what, but it just says huh. before present, and I'm like, that doesn't tell me a lot. But if I'm assuming that right now in this moment, 2023 is the present, right? then we're talking something that's 9,000 years old artifacts that they found. Well, that's fair. So really old stuff. I wish mm-hmm. I had um, the BC ad version of that because i feel like that would give me a much more accurate uh comparison but i have to do more research into that to figure that out so Mm -hmm. um anyway uh in the artifacts they found they found a lodge floor uh hearths serial ceremonial red paint deposits um pits and molds for posts so they found a lot of big and significant things and they found like several of these across the way like they could show that these were different uh staging places for either hunting or battle like it was very clearly intentional placements around the swamp that's very interesting specifically they mentioned the number 13 saying there were 13 different places they found. And I found that mm. interesting, given the connotations 13 has mm-hmm. in our societies. Um, it uh, is a very important environmental place. In fact, in 1971, one year after the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency was established, people were pushing hard to protect their wonder wetland. And in... 1990, it was designated as an area of critical environmental concern. Mm. They noted at least 15 endangered plants and animals in the swamp. Wow. Which is an incredible amount. If you think about it, if you think about endangered species, let's say 
the panda is an endangered species in the jungles of China. And maybe the red panda is over in that area. Well, mm-hmm. So that's two species in one area. This is a 15th. So it's a gob smacking large amount of endangered species okay, in for one just area. this, I mean, relatively speaking, in regards to the entire U.S., it's a small area. But, yeah. Um, but, but still, that's significant. Yeah, because if you're looking at the whole of Yellowstone, which is much larger, I think they have maybe one or two endangered species that maybe live oh, in their area. Oh, right, right, okay. So if that gives you a little bit of uh, perspective on mm-hmm. how important this land is. Um, in a pamphlet used to inform the politicians at the time about the swamp and hopefully stir their vote to make it an environmental area, I found a very interesting piece of text which I feel is very haunting. They have a little, look, I I found the pamphlet. Oh. And almost right in the beginning of the pamphlet, when they're discussing the history of the place, this is what they say in the pamphlet. When the white man extricated himself from the ecology of early Europe to take take up a semi-independent agricultural existence, certain fears and superstitions arose regarding the animal world, that he had walked away from the once familiar I, he is referring to the white man so any of the white right. men in that area the once familiar became the mysterious and the dread of the unknown haunted him the shadow of his phobia followed him to north america and places like hockamock swamp were promptly placed on his blacklist wolves and later wild dogs sought to shelter in the hawk's haunted depths Described as haunted in this instant. On still nights, the evil glitter of foxfire and or the demonic cackle of a supposed barred owl sent chills up the spines of early settlers. Oh my giddy aunt! Hordes of crows rose each morning from the guts of the swamp to ravage the farmer's corn. And from time to time, young girls merrily picking blueberries along the fringes found themselves drawn farther and farther along unfamiliar paths seduced by the increasing size of the berries and until at last they were lost and claimed by the swamp forever. Why would you write that? That's an official pamphlet. Yes, and and through this pamphlet, they mostly describe the various animal species that they find there, um, the environmental impact taking away the swamp would have, like very, um, what I would expect to find in an environmental study pamphlet. Sure. So this specific paragraph was really interesting to me, that scientists would describe a place as haunted, that they would describe the unnatural uh, disappearances of young girls. Yeah. That they would describe cackling. That the that the crows rose from the guts of the swamp was it, the was the sentence yes. that got me. It's, the guts. Yeah. So it's even in a scientific article type thing, they're describing <laughs> oh it in gosh. very morbid yes. terms. And they gosh, have they have yes. a little sketch of the swamp, which I know is meant to be like just kind of showing the scenery, but it has a dark feel to it to me. Well, it is black and white. It is. It's a little ominous in a way. It kind of is. I don't know why. I don't know what's hitting me about it, but I look at it and I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> why, why would I want to conserve that? Why would I want to conserve the haunted 
uh, guts of a swamp that lure young women to their death. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the in the pamphlet, they do discuss that before it was a swamp, it was a giant glacier that sat in that area. Um, and Jeez. because of the way that I, glacier melted and affected the ground underneath and and the plant life and stuff that area is still so much cooler than the rest of the area Mm. that um sub arctic plants and animals that have left the rest of the state remain there wow yeah so it still stays fairly cool because of just the way that things have happened over the years that's so odd and all the plants there um, filter the minerals out of the water as the plants need them to grow. So this water is like insanely, as close to drinkable water as you could probably get. That's just I mean, odd. Obviously you got like fish pee and guts, like I'd still clean it before you drink it, but like. It just no minerals. filters and purifies. Wow. Yeah. That is so weird. Yeah. Um, the list of animals that call this place home is enormous i was Mm -hmm. not expecting it they list 101 birds in recent studies uh 44 mammals oh 16 amphibians 16 reptiles 35 fish for a stunning 211 species living this again like you said in retrospect small area of land wow what i found really interesting is that amongst all these birds they are mostly like, like I'll give you a few instances. The biggest ones you're talking are some of the, like, broad-winged hawks or wild turkeys. Mm-hmm. But then you're looking at a lot of, like, hummingbirds, woodpeckers, oh, very sure. small birds. So even at your largest, you're not getting anything close to that pterodactyl-like oh, yeah. entity. Like, you're not talking a, a vulture or a, a bird that would normally yes. be considered large or standing in such ways um they have tons of warblers and tons of thrushes and and sparrows so again all very small animals Mm -hmm. when you're talking in terms of mammals the biggest you're going to see is a moose but honestly most of them are along the lines of little ground animals like moles and hares and chipmunks your only real predators in that area are like foxes and a couple of coyotes so you don't and and a yeah. bobcat yeah nobody's going to mistake a moose for something other than a moose a moose moose are you know it's a moose it's you know i've from from a distance I've actually mistaken a moose for a horse until until I got close enough that I was like, oh, that's not a horse. That's that's probably the closest you'd get. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you had mentioned that I should look into giant snakes in the area. So mm-hmm. I, I went through the environmental studies for the purpose of looking for snakes. And that's how I kind of noticed, hey, even though I'm seeing all these stories that I'm trying not to look like of these big creatures spotted in the area... Mm-hmm. there's no big species in that area. There's nothing that it could be confused with. There's uh, no bears. There's no nothing that you could right. say it was mm-hmm. that it isn't. There's Correct. nothing that looks like that amongst okay. these. So looking at the snakes in that area, 
the actual snakes found in that area. And I included that there's eels in this area because I wanted to clarify that the eels were not what people were seeing. Sure. So there's these American eels. They're, they grow like four feet long, max out at like 17 pounds. There's mm -hmm. eastern racers, 20 to 60 inches long, 1.2 pounds. Uh, Ringnake snakes, ten, uh, snakes, snakes. <laughs> 10 to 15 inches long. Milk snakes, 14 to 72 inches long. Now that sounds big, but they only get up to maybe three pounds and are usually around 1.3 ounces. Oh, yeah. They have tons of these very long, very lightweight snakes. They're, okay. They're all very ribbon, string, rope-like tiny okay. snakes. Sure. Maybe their biggest maybe their biggest, is a garter snake, which is uh, 22 to 52 inches long, which can be like five pounds. Okay. But I've owned a garter snake. Yeah. Like, any one of these snakes that is found there, there's like 16 different species, could be a snake that you could keep in a cage on your desk and be like, look at my little snake. Oh, yeah. They're all reasonably small snakes and, and rightly so for their environment they they need to be small lightweight just be able to slither quickly up trees and around environments mm -hmm. nothing big and they don't need to be big there's not big prey to get there's right. not things to catch that way okay now in comparison i wanted to look at the five largest known snakes in the world none of which appear in this swamp mind you yeah at number five is the african rock python at 23 feet Number four, green anaconda, 23 feet. And that's 200 to 550 pounds worth of snake. Ooh. That one is one of the few that's known as a true man eater of a snake. Right, right. And lives in tropical areas where... Like the Amazon and... Yeah. Right, where there's just an abundance of food Large creatures and, yeah. to be eaten and abundance of air. Yeah. Number three, we have the amethystine python at 28 feet. Um, number two, which is the largest living snake, is the reticulated python at 32 feet. And the number one largest snake ever known to us is the extinct titanoboa, which is 40 to 50 feet and is 2,200 to 2,500 pounds. So huge, huge snake. They have like one or two museums that have... Uh, showings of this snake. Titanoboa coming to a theater near you. Oh, I'm sure someone's done something like yeah. that. They're huge, huge snakes. Yeah, okay. But they don't live anymore. Right. That Extinct. we know of. Oh. Because, I say that we know of because, honestly, there's been a few things we've said are extinct that we have later rediscovered. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few prehistoric creatures that exist today like uh what's that one that crawls on the ocean floor and is like in a shell i don't know it's weird right the oh i know what you're talking about yeah yeah weird weird creatures uh, okay alligators and crocodiles have been around since prehistoric oh, times yeah yeah um and, and have always kind of existed and, and mutated through the years so i'm not gonna say titan boas haven't just evolved and changed into something else but i will say scientists say they're extinct okay they're done. They're okay. gone. We haven't seen one. So they must be gone. Now, all this said, remember, the snakes in this area, native to this area, are thin, tiny, tiny little things. Okay. Well, in the 1970s, an officer was quoted saying, 
quote, nothing surprises us anymore. Recently, an eight-foot boa constrictor was run over by a motorist, and we cannot determine the origin of the snake. Now, first off, 70s boa constrictor, there's not going to be a lot of people owning boa constrictors in the first place, but people in that time would not have Google to look up what a boa constrictor looks like. So he just sees huge snake, thinks boa constrictor, but cannot determine the origin someone would have been like oh that was my snake that escaped and it's wow i'm so sad my snake got run over you know yeah nothing like that no okay the fact that a motorist run it over was was like what yeah i couldn't find pictures i was looking for like uh police files or something where i could find a picture of of the incident but unfortunately they didn't have any okay but why i say perhaps maybe not a boa constrictor is because dating even further back Uh uh-huh in an incident in 19, 1939, the Civilian Conservation Corps was out working on a road, and they reported a giant black snake as thick as a tree trunk. What? It reportedly slithered through the swamp, coiled up near the road, raised its head, and looked at them for a few minutes before disappearing back into the swamp oh my gosh boa constrictors are not black right right they are like brown and spotted sometimes maybe yellow in color but they all have very like patterned sort of looks to them a pure black snake um in another report it was described as looking like a stovetop pipe, which if you've ever had a wood stove at home. Those are huge. Yeah. That's like bigger than my thigh. Yeah. Oh, really my thick, gosh. Really black. Just this. You can only imagine how long then it would have been. Oh, yeah. That big around, it had to have been. Massive. Yeah. Because if you're talking, again, in comparison to some of our largest snakes, mm-hmm. you know, even if you think maybe the green anaconda that's 23 feet long is 200 550 pounds even though those are so heavy snakes are muscles so they're really really dense Mm -hmm. and even those ones are maybe as thick as my arm maybe my calf at a really big size right like they're just so dense they don't need to be really wide to give off a lot of weight so the fact that it's so wide you're talking a you're talking like a titanoboa size wow snake that's crazy so i think Looking at the environmental studies and the sightings that people have seen there, mm-hmm. there are no creatures which could be, by any layman, mm-hmm. mistaken for any of the sightings of mysterious things that have been seen. Sure. Period. Right. It's not one of those, oh, you were out in the mountains, maybe you saw a bear and not Bigfoot. Right. Oh, you were in the woods and you were scared. It was a deer with big antlers, not a wendigo, you know? Right. There's there's no, there's nothing. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It is crazy to me because it's the first time where I'm like, there is no scientific thing there that could maybe explain what people have been seeing. Right. Gotcha. Okay. I... (sighs) I honestly believe based on how much death happened there and how much the ground was respected and how many scientists have talked about it 
in a sense of it being haunted, right. there is something up with that swamp that we cannot explain. I I would agree. And that that kind of circles us back around to my closing thoughts from um, a Chris Balazzo who made a documentary about the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, I saw stuff about his mm-hmm. things as I was going along. He said, anything that you want to be in the triangle is in the triangle. It's a Pandora's box. Quote, it's a thing. It's not a location. It's not a random place on a map. It's a living, breathing thing that has a hunger and has a dark side to it. And that is like, that is like, such a perfect wrap up of the Bridgewater Triangle. I would agree. I would agree. That I I, I had to use that quote. Ooh, a hunger. Is that why those yeah. little girls got attracted by more and more berries? So here's the went? thing. In the in, <laughs> in the beginning we talked about how the triangle um could be a potential window and why we hadn't heard of windows. Well, or wind- in general, windows in general, but we hadn't heard of Bridgewater Triangle as much. Well, here's the thing. What other window, Amanda, have we t- potentially talked about on this show? I mean, we talked about Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, I would argue, is a window. Bing, bing, bing. Skinwalker Ranch has UFOs, has paranormal activity, has orbs, has cryptids yep man-sized like wolf type creatures um so is an I area think, of land that most people wouldn't want to live on or cultivate right and it was a, an original native american um area that actually was given the name skinwalker ridge by the natives by the natives yeah so here you have hockamock swamp uh, you know, coined the term coined back by the natives. You have the Bridgewater Triangle that has been there decade. I mean, obviously been recognized at for least, decades now. At least 9,000 years back with right. the artifacts they found. Right. And so you have a spot that has so much history and so much going on that is unexplainable. And I agree with that statement early on about it being a window into another reality. So as much as we haven't kind of gone down alternate reality wormhole yet, but the window aspect of it makes complete sense to me. What if these areas like Skinwalker Ranch and Bridgewater Triangle are that window or vortex or some type of doorway into another universe or another realm or whatever you want to call it well and and no matter which uh cultures you look at going back they all describe something similar of there being these places that are portals that contain creatures Mm -hmm. both wonderful strange and awful yes in like celtic mythology it'd be the fae in greek mythology it's a the name of it so what if those cryptids both in in bridgewater you know the cryptids in bridgewater especially the snakes i mean that's a very um reasonable point and even the dome or sorry the dover demon yeah what if 
something slipped through that window or that doorway for a brief moment and then slipped back in. Yeah. And, and the thing about windows is just because you're not going into that place doesn't not it doesn't mean you can't see into that place. Yes. And I think, yeah, that's why window is kind of a good description because it's it's not like it, a door where you could go in and out, you know, one place to another. But a window is a very good description because you can see something from another area. Yeah. Not necessarily interact with it or anything else. So I think obviously this is a, a Bridgewater Triangle is a fascinating place to get to know. And I think this We're was just the surface. We're never driving through there. <laughs> well, is it? Well, well, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> tea or no tea? No. No? No. Nowhere? No. Not the swamp, not the triangle, not nowhere. No. I, I have a thing about sacred ground <laughs> oh the fact that it's been okay. dubbed as sacred ground by the natives tells me all i need to know about it okay. and says to me no <laughs> okay so i all right i would say no i wouldn't tea in the swamp just because um i don't necessarily like creepy crawlies and those things would just creep me out anyway, but the chance, and I'm not normally afraid of snakes, but I mean, a snake the size of my thigh, yeah. uh, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely tea at like Bridgewater or just at one of the towns nearby it in the no, triangle. No, in the triangle. I would go to the triangle. In the triangle, but yeah. not in the swamp part of the but triangle. But not in the swamp. Nope. No, thanks. <sighs> No oh, thanks. Not in the swamp, but but I would go to the triangle. There in fact, might I'm, be a case for, for me to definitely. go in the triangle, but it's still kind of like the Bermuda Triangle. Of like, do I want to risk it? Do I want to tempt that? Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I don't know. I could see that. Yeah, I would still tea there. <laughs> <laughs> I would still have a tea in Bridgewater Triangle. Oh man. But what a fascinating kind of introduction to that area because I I think that that's why we hadn't heard of it, though, is because it's a regional thing. And so, you know, East Coast, New England area, Bridgewater Triangle is there what Skinwalker Ranch is to us. And and that's reasonable. That's reasonable that it could just be a a regional thing because Mm -hmm. I I know the states is massive. It's just like where I've been down so many... um, conspiracy encrypted rabbit holes right i'm surprised that it never even blipped on the radar right right it's so crazy to think that i've only in my lifetime scratched the surface of the weird stuff Uh, out there yeah like that's terrifying (laughs) right right okay all right that's that's great okay so um i enjoyed the the episode today (gasps) Wait, I almost forgot. You almost forgot. What? The most important thing about Bridgewater. What? As crazy as that place is, if it is a portal into another dimension, it gave someone in a freak accident the key to the most important thing in the world. (gasps) Which is? The chocolate chip cookie. Yes! (laughs) Yes! We almost forgot that fun fact. (laughs) 
Yeah. Apparently, the chocolate chip cookie was invented in the Bridgewater Triangle. Okay, so there, there's uh, there's some good that can come out of and Bridgewater it, Triangle. It did happen in a freak accident. I'd go to the, the chocolate chip cookie origins. I would do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I would tea with that all the way. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that in there. Nope, you're good. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Join us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, contact us at info at steepmystery.com. And... Please listen us uh, to us on all of your streaming services and make sure to give us, you know, reviews. We like five shiny stars and, and we like when you comment and tell us things. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it lets us know what you like. Give us ideas for, for another episode. Share stories. Um, we're here. We want to hear from you. Share your grandma's chocolate chip cookie recipe. Like whatever you feel yeah, like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, as always, keep it steeped. Keep it steeped. Bye.